Worship to God has always been in the context of death. When Noah comes off the ark, he sacrificed animals to God, thankful for being saved from the flood. When the Passover is instituted, either the firstborn in people's houses died or a lamb was killed and its blood was wiped on the doorpost to save them. And when Jesus is at the Last Supper with his disciples, he tells them to remember him through the bread and the wine because he is headed to the cross to die for the sin of the world. Hi, I'm Femi Osiman, and in today's sermon, Worship Amidst the Presence of Death, taken from Luke 22, we will look at how we must confront death when we worship God, and it should compel, not hinder us to worship, because we recognize the life God offers is not threatened in any way by death. This do in remembrance of me. It's an interesting phrase that Jesus recites that he says when he is betrayed before he goes to the cross. And let's just read that context because he's calling us to remember him not in a good time, but in a difficult time. And what he's calling us to remember about him is his death, his burial, his resurrection, but also the life he lived and the life that he's calling us all to. Luke 22, verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and prepare the Passover meal for us that we may eat it. They asked him, Where do you want us to make preparations for it? Listen, he said to them, When you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house he enters and say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs already furnished. Make preparations for us there. So they went and found everything as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover meal. And when the hour had come, he took his place at the table and the apostles with him. He said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he said, take this and divide it amongst yourself. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then he took a loaf of bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he did the same with the cup after supper, saying, This cup poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But see, the one who betrays me is with me, and his hand is on the table. It's something about this, do this in remembrance of me, communion, that Jesus tells us to partake of in the midst of everything that was going on in his life. He knew he was going to be betrayed. 
he knew that he had to go and eat of this Passover that God had commanded his people to partake of ever since he called them up out of Egypt. And he knew that the one who was going to betray him was there and he was going to die. And it didn't stop him from remembering what God had done for his people. And then what Jesus does is he re-envisions this Passover meal and takes it and calls us to remember him through it. In this present moment in life, there's a lot of things that people are asking us to forget about. And a lot of those things that we're called to forget about is what unites us, what brings us together because we're scared that we're going to contaminate each other with a virus. And I'm not saying that this threat of infection, this threat of death is not real because it is. But what it does is it focuses us on what we'll miss out in this life as if death is the worst thing that can happen to us. But the faith that we're called to causes us to look past death into the eternal life. And so it's interesting that every time that we come together, what we're called to do is to remind each other of death. Death that brings about life. Communion. The sacrifice Jesus made for us, we take to remember him. And in remembering him, we by necessity remember the fact that he died for us. But when the midst of when Jesus was doing all of this, this Passover meal that he did this in was a remembrance of what God did for his people when he called them up out of Egypt. Listen, if you will, to what happens that very night that they were called out of Egypt. And it's a story we're very familiar with, but just to, to give us a little bit of reference, Exodus 12, if you want to turn with me, or you could just listen. And I'm going to just read a few verses. Verse number 12 in the 12th chapter of Exodus. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike down every firstborn in the land of Egypt, both humans and animals. On all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood, referencing the blood of the lamb that's on their doorpost, shall be a sign for you on the house where you live, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague shall destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Drop down to 17. You shall observe the festival of unleavened bread. For on this very day, I brought your companies out of the land of Egypt. You shall observe this day throughout your generations as a perpetual ordinance in the first month from the evening of the 14th day until the evening of the 21st day. You shall eat unleavened bread. For seven days no leaven shall be found in your houses. For whoever eats what is leavened shall be cut off 
from the congregation of Israel, whether an alien or a native of the land, you shall eat nothing leavened, and all your sediments you shall eat unleavened bread. The day that God brought his people up out of Egyptian bondage, there was death in every house. He had told Pharaoh that I want my people to come out to worship me. And Pharaoh stubbornly said, no, I will not let your people go. And so what God does is the very day that he says, I'm going to show Pharaoh that I am God and I'm going to call my people and to this land I promised them to worship me. And he institutes, he gives Moses these directions on how they are to worship him and the day that they're to remember him it is a day full of death everybody who didn't have blood on their doorposts their firstborn and first animal died and everybody who had blood on their doorposts had to kill a lamb and they would be spared from losing their firstborn but no matter how you look at it, there was death in every house and there was death as a reminder of what God was doing for his people and what he was saving them from. Death in this world because there was a greater life that he had for them, a greater place that he wanted them to be called to. But there was this confronting of death, a reality that was ever present with God's people. And we're reminded of it every time we worship God. Every time the Israelites came together for a festival, there was this reminder of death. But this death causes us to focus on what's really important. Because while there was a death that happened in the world, there was a life that was given that evaded this worldly death so that people could live where God wanted them to. And this was realized in worship. Because what God wants us to do is to remember we're separate, we're different, we're other than the world. And if we're going to be other than, different than, separated from the world, we have to confront death and realize that death is not the end all to be all. There's something greater the next life has to offer and it's not tied down to what we do here. And what we do in worship is it focuses our lives to that fact. It focuses our lives to the fact that we have to leave this earth one way or the other. Because if we don't leave this earth with the understanding of who we are as God's child, we will suffer the death that everybody else in this life is going to face. But when we think about worship, we understand that while God wants us to worship him, he does recognize that there's going to be times to where we are not right to worship him, meaning we're unclean. We have not the right situations in our lives that that allow us to be in the context to worship him look at uh numbers nine real quick 
It reads, The Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the first month of the second year after they had come up out of the land of Egypt, saying, Let the Israelites keep the Passover at its appointed time. On the fourteenth day of this month at twilight, you shall keep it as it is appointed time. According to all its statutes and all its regulations, you shall keep it. So Moses told the Israelites that they should keep the Passover. They kept the Passover in the first month on the 14th day of the month at twilight in the wilderness of Sinai, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. So the Israelites did. Now there were certain people who were unclean through touching a corpse, so they could not keep the Passover on that day. They came before Moses and Aaron on that day and said to him, Although we are unclean through touching a corpse, why must we be kept from presenting the Lord's offering at its appointed time among the Israelites? Moses spoke to them, Wait, so I may hear what the Lord will command concerning you. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the Israelites, saying, Any one of you of your descendants who is unclean through touching a corpse or is away on a journey shall still keep the Passover to the Lord. In the second month, on the fourteenth day at twilight, they shall keep it. They shall eat it with the unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall leave none of it until morning, nor break a bone of it. According to all the statute for the Passover, they shall keep it. But anyone who is clean and is not on a journey and yet refrains from keeping the Passover shall be cut off from the people for not presenting the Lord's offering at its appointed time. Such a one shall bear the consequences for the sin. Any alien residing among you who wishes to keep the Passover to the Lord shall do so according to the statute of the Passover and according to its regulation. You shall have one statute for both the resident alien and the native. You see, God, as much as he wants us, requires us to worship, recognizes that there are situations in life that prohibits that worship. So what does he say? I'll make a stipulation for you. But you cannot just evade worship just because you don't want to go. So what God is saying is that there is a stipulation for missing worship and a condemnation for not going without a valid reason. You see, what God is telling us is we should worship every opportunity that we have except for when we're not clean. So what's this saying? We need to be wise. Because we know we don't live to the holiness code that the uh, Israelites had in the wilderness. We know that we are not still under the law, but we do recognize that there are things that would make us not right to go and worship God. And as we think about this day and this age with a deadly virus, I would say that you'd be appropriate, if sick, not to go worship. But I would also say that if you can worship and you're clean, you should go worship. Because 
it's important to God. And if it's important to God, it should be important to us. And what we learn is that in our worship, what we're actually doing is differentiating ourselves from the world. We're going to trust God to protect us from the ills of society. You see, our worship teaches us to trust in God. When the Passover was first instituted, put this blood over your doorpost. They had never done as such. But they knew that if they listened to God, then they would be saved from the terrors that would come into the world. And what happens? They put the blood over their doorpost and the angel passes by them, the passes over. What we see is that in the second year that this Passover is going to be celebrated, there's people who are unclean, but they want to come and that they want to partake in this Passover. But Moses says, let me ask God what you should do. You're unclean. God says, you take it the second month. So in that, God even recognizes that you don't need to come in and defile the camp. And then we see that Jesus, he comes and he tells us, it's not a Passover no more, it's a communion. And what I want you to do is I want you to come and remember what I did. And we see that the disciples took this seriously. We have a a story in Acts 20, verse 6, that shows us the severity of what they did. And then a reading that a lot of churches do in 1 Corinthians 11 shows us the depth of what it is we do when we partake of the communion. But listen to Acts 20, and I'm going to start with verse 6. He sailed from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and five days we joined them in Traos, where we stayed for seven days. So after the Passover, they're journeying, and on the first day of the week when we met to break bread, when they met to take this communion, Paul was holding a discussion with them, and since he intended to leave the next day, he continued speaking until midnight. There were many lamps in the room upstairs where we were meeting. A young man named Eutychus, who was sitting in the window, began to sink off to a deep sleep while Paul talked still longer. Overcome by sleep, he fell to the ground three floors below and was picked up dead. But Paul went down and bending over him, took him in his arms and said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. Then Paul went upstairs, and after he had broken bread and eaten, he continued to converse with them until dawn, then he left. Meanwhile, they had taken the boy away alive and were not a little comforted. You see, this is an interesting story. A lot of times we just overlook it. But what this story kind of highlights is that in this worship service, somebody died. kind of rattles us. God allowed somebody to die in worship. But what's more comforting is not the fact that he died, but what happens after he died is that he was given life in the context of this worship. 
And so it just goes to highlight the fact that in worship, we're confronted with death. The Passover. Either you put this blood or this lamb over your doorpost or the first person born in your family dies. You got to kill the lamb. Communion. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus shed his blood, broke his body so that we would not have the death that this world is going to have. But every time we take it, we're reminded of that fact. That he died on the cross for us. And we come together as God's people, not just because it's something good to do. Because it's something that defines us. It's something that roots us into not this world, but the next. And death is ever present. And there's times when we can't make it to worship to where God says, I understand. But that doesn't mean that we should evade worship because we're scared that we're going to come in contact with death. Because our hope is not in this life. Because even if we die during worship, we have a better ending because of life that's afforded to us because who we are as God's people. Worship. We shouldn't allow anything to keep us from coming to worship. That's invalid. You're sick, stay away. You're traveling. You can't make it. But if you can make it to worship, you should go. And if you happen to die in your worship, it would be tragic, but it's okay. Why? Because our hope is in the life after death. Our hope is in the fact that God really can do something with our soul that's different than what happens to people outside of his circle. So if all we were worried about was what we can do in this life, I would say avoid going to worship when it's inconvenient for you. If all we was worried about was what we could get in this world, I would say don't waste your time following God but that's not what Christians believe we believe that the things of this life do not compare with the riches of the next so we're willing to sacrifice some of our pleasures some of our comforts some of the inconveniences that are presented to us to worship God because we see the value of it. We understand who he's calling us to and we understand that it's really focusing, centering our lives and giving us meaning. So we come to worship. And there was a, a time in Acts when the apostles were speaking of Jesus in Acts 5 and they got beaten and they were in prison. And what happens there? They are happy because they get to suffer for the cause of Christ. And then we get that saying from 
Gamel, he says, let's consider what we do to these people. Because if this not from God, it's going to fail. But if what they're doing is of God, you're going to be fighting against God. So as Christians, we understand we're living in this context. There is a deadly disease going around this world. There is, and I, I, I must admit, there is a concern even that I have with our interactions with each other, with people, because we don't want to be contaminated. We don't want to suffer from whatever it is that's going out there that nobody really has a handle on. And so it causes us to put a pause on some of our activities in life. It causes us to distance ourselves from the world, from others. But it shouldn't cause us to distance ourselves from each other when we meet God. And we should be wise enough that if we're sick, even if it's not with COVID-19, stay home. It's okay. <laughs> we don't have to fear each other. Because if we do catch it and we don't know, we can still go to heaven with coronavirus. And we should be cautious of a law of a government that tells us we shouldn't go to worship because we could come into contact with something that God can control. Because the same government that's telling us not to go to worship is saying we should keep liquor stores open. The same government that's telling us not to go to worship is more concerned about this economy than spirituality. And so while I would say, listen to what they're saying to some regard, I would say trust God more. Because while we're trying to avoid catching a disease by worshiping God, we still have to go out and get groceries. Some people still have to go out and go to work. We still need to go out and get home. And while we're avoiding each other, you might catch it from somebody in the world doing things that are focused on this life. And that shouldn't govern us. And we should have the wherewithal to make up in our own minds and our own hearts what we're going to do if it ever comes to the point to where they say, you can't go to worship. Structures might need to be put in place. Monies might need to be put aside for tickets, for bail. Because at some level, I believe that this is not just a test from God. But I think it's a test from Satan to see how many people of God's that he can get to be so concerned with this life that they don't think about the impact it's having on the next. There's a benefit to worship. One, 
separates us from the world. But two, it helps us to remember what's truly important as a Christian. We're told to worship. And it focuses us on our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Through the communion, we're reminded of the sacrifice that he made for us. And that sacrifice cost him his life. Through our singing, we encourage, we admonish, we teach each other messages from God. Through our giving, we demonstrate our trust in God and assist others who need it. Because that's what the body does. It looks out for each other. Through our prayers, collectively, we beseech God for the things that we need. And through the message from the word, we look at <coughs> scripture to see some of the truths of God and how he has interacted with his people throughout history to remind us, to strengthen us for what we're going through right now. That's all done in worship. Let's never forget that. And let's never negate our worship to God out of fear of death. Because we're all going to die. And we know we can't escape that. But what we do know is that we can die outside of Christ and we can't escape that by being found in him no matter where we die at like Eutychus it could happen in worship but like Eutychus there could be life after death if we die because of our worship I'm not sure where that sermon leaves you. My prayer is that you will contemplate it and incorporate it into your Christian life. If you're not a Christian, I ask, what's stopping you? God sent his son, Jesus, to freely extend the gift of salvation to all who will follow him. To get that salvation, one must follow the example set out in scripture. The book of Acts, which details the church's beginnings and expansion, shows us biblical examples of those who were saved. A good place to look is in Acts 2. You get Peter preaching the first gospel sermon in the response of those who heard and believed his message. They repented and were baptized, which added them to the church Christ established. The Bible only teaches of one church. If you want to be added to it, go to your local Church of Christ and tell them your desire to be washed of your sins and to live a godly life. Study your Bible, put its teachings to practice, and you will make heaven your home.